If you're tired of dieting and stepping on the scale, you're lacking energy and confidence, and you're ready to harness your inner athlete, then you're in the right place. I'm Sherry Shaban, and in each episode, I'll help you to rebuild your fitness identity and empower your deepest transformation so that health and fitness are not just what you do, but who you are. What's up, athletes? Welcome back to the show. On this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness, we are speaking with the one and only Leah Pinelli, life coach, who would like to talk to us today about the psychology and neurological aspects of overeating and how certain foods impact our hunger and desire on a chemical level and how that impacts our feelings of powerlessness when it comes to food and overeating. Leah's personally lost over 30 pounds years ago by changing mindset and habits with food. She's helped dozens of women stop overeating without dieting, using a methodology that blends psychology, neuroscience, and practical application to change our lives forever with food. I'm on a mission, she says, to free up the mental real estate women currently use counting calories and carbs and instead empower them to focus on what really matters, their careers, kids, and communities. One of her favorite topics to talk about is the myth of motivation. I can't wait to get into that topic, athletes. So often people rely on motivation to get them to their goals, but motivation is an emotion just like any other. It waxes and wanes by design, so we can't count on it to always be there when we need it. Instead, she teaches a different method of achieving our goals with a blend of commitment, determination, and pleasure, which equals momentum. And momentum is what carries us through when motivation is scarce. Leah, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get into this line of work? Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to try to keep it short. But basically, um, I was a high school teacher. I was an educator for about 15 years. I worked both as a teacher and as an administrator. And after the birth of my son, I was a high school assistant principal at that time. I knew I didn't want to go back into administration. Um, And so the school that I was working for offered me the opportunity to teach. I was a Spanish teacher previous to being an administrator, but they offered me an opportunity to teach an elective. And that sounded like a perfect, you know, I've got a new baby. I don't really, you know. So I was like, yeah. And they're like, you can create whatever you want, teach whatever course you want. And I was like, awesome. So I created a course just for students who were female identified. Um, and it was basically a girl empowerment course. And I went and got yoga teacher certified and we would do yoga and meditation. But more importantly, I created this curriculum around girl empowerment. So we learned all, about all the stuff that like impacts teenage girls that teenage girls don't really have a lot of um, guidance around. Like healthy relationships. What do they look like? Like, how do you know what you deserve? <laughs> um, what, what's going on with my body? Like, is this normal? <laughs> what's happening down there? Like all of it. And then we, we talked about sex trafficking. We talked about the influence of the media on our self-image. We were talking about everything, body diversity, self-love, all of it. Um, but I realized rather quickly that what the girls ended up bringing to the group was actually often like out of my league. I could give them all my advice. Like, I'd be like, girl, you need to dump him. You know, like he, you deserve so much better, but I didn't actually have the tools to help them navigate their own lives. So I was like, I need more training. I need something. I learned about life coaching. I went and trained. Um, I did a Martha Beck, um, training life coach training. And that was in 2016, 2017. Yeah. 2016. Uh, and 
from there, I fell in love with life coaching. I was like, this is amazing. Um, and so I started a little life coaching practice on the side with women. Cause I found that I really loved coaching women, you know, to live their best lives and right. all that fun stuff. Um, and I had kind of heard about weight loss coaching, but I was totally done with, um, dieting. I didn't, I, I, I literally had the thought, Sherry, I was like, well, that sounds like a scam because if that worked, I would have done it by now 100%. because personally I had done every single diet in the book. I had been you know, since I was nine was when my pediatrician put me on my first diet. Right. And so I was just over dieting and especially with a baby. I'm like, I don't have time for this. Like counting points doesn't work. I don't want to live this way. I don't want that. And so I'd heard about life, uh, weight loss, weight loss coaching. And I just didn't want anything to do with that either. I'm like, sounds like a scam. Um, but then I stumbled upon a tool once I was listening to a podcast. I stumbled upon a tool. I started to play with that tool and lo and behold, without trying, without dieting, I lost seven pounds and I was like, mm. what is going on? I need to know more. So I started to kind of like with a lot of trepidation started to explore like this world. And what it, what I learned was it was totally different than anything I had ever done before because it was working with my own psychology. And I'd always had a hunch that there was something going on with me in my brain that was causing me to sabotage all the time. Right. Um, so I did I did a training and I lost 30 pounds and I now help other women do exactly what I did, although very much customized to the woman. Um, so not, you know, not everybody's doing the same thing, but, um, but really it is a matter of really shifting those neural pathways, our associations, the re like, it's really what it's about is it's really about getting to the core diagnosing. Why am I overeating in the first place? Yes. Yes. And then from there, I can actually get to a place of food freedom. I can remedy the problem, the reason why I'm overeating in the first place. And then what happens is, is I clear up all this mental real estate for myself. I'm no longer, because if you've ever dieted, you know how much mental energy that takes right. to count and track and all of it. It's all freed up. And so what that did for me is it totally changed my life. Not only did I lose 30 pounds, like I'm like, okay, that's great. But like, more importantly, I realized my job was a huge, like uh, I, I was only able to do that job with the girls for a few years. I realized I don't love my job. I want a career that I love. I want more time freedom. And I totally transformed my life thanks to releasing all of that energy around dieting and weight loss. Right, right. That takes up a lot of mental real estate, right? I mean, when you think about yes. it, you kind of mentioned you started dieting at the age of nine. Yes. I, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to ask you how old you are now, Leah, but, but how many? Oh, I'm, I'm a very proud 44 year old. <laughs> 44 in decades. Woman. I'm 42. All right. But oh, yes. think about it from, from nine, from nine years old. And, and many girls do start to think about dieting and their bodies and their weight and all of that around, around nine years old, like those last couple of years of grade school. Right. So how many years of our lives are we wasting our yeah. energy, our mental capacity, thinking about how many calories is this what I'm eating? Oh, and then feeling bad. I just ate that and then weighing myself or then going shopping yes. and worrying about what I'm going to wear. And I mean, imagine the amount of thoughts throughout the day that are focused around weight loss, around our body, around what we're eating and then feeling, of course, really guilty, all the negative emotions that come with that. And the more we focus on things to your point about the neuropathways, when that's all our focus, then the more that that supports the habits throughout our days, all we're doing is talking yes. about about dieting, creating these restrictive patterns in our mind. And then that of course leads to 
disordered eating patterns and, and, and other patterns. So continue on a little bit with what you're sharing about the neurological pathways. So what does that mean, first of all, just to be a life coach? Because I think a lot of people don't don't really understand or grasp the importance of having a life coach um, to help guide them through any challenges in their lives or any areas of their lives that they want to work on. And then t- tell us a bit about these neurological pathways that you were referring to. Absolutely. So, so essentially like I could do any diet. Like I did South Beach. I did Weight Watchers. I did paleo. I did keto. I mean, like I could follow a diet. Any one of us can Google a diet and follow it. But the thing is, is the diet is not there for me when I come home after a long day and I am exhausted. I am. So at the, uh, at the time that I went through training, I, um, weight loss training, weight loss coaching training, Um, I was working as a high school administrator of a major high school and it was a very demanding job and educators in particular, we are very, very self-sacrificing, right? Like we go into, to be a teacher is actually the lowest paid profession in this country. And what I mean by that is it requires a college degree. And so of all the jobs that require college degrees, it's the lowest paying of all of them that require a degree. (laughs) So, you know, we're very, by nature, educators, uh, pe- people who go into education are often very self-sacrificing. They're, they're believe in service and all of the things. And I was all about it too, but I was exhausted and, um, I was overgiving and I was overextended and I had a little tiny kid at home, you know, that I wanted to be with. And I live in the Bay area or I did then lived in the Bay area. So I'm sitting through traffic, you know, and so I would get home and I was exhausted and I was overwhelmed and I was dissatisfied. And all I wanted was to get home and see my baby because I hadn't seen him all day and he's two. But at the same time, I was wiped. I was maybe even depressed. I don't know in hindsight, right? But I was just like, but I felt like I had to rally. So how would I rally? I would pull out some cheese. I would pull out some crackers. I would pull out a bottle of wine to get me through cooking dinner and seeing my baby and unpacking from daycare and talking to my husband and all the things, right? And so I was using food as like, it was a thing I could look forward to. And I remember I'd be driving home and be like, I cannot wait to pour that glass of wine and rip into that salami and cheese and and bread, you know, like can't wait. And I felt like if I wasn't going to do that, I didn't know how to get through the evening. And so my point is that when, when I, what I mean by, you know, the, everybody can follow a diet, anybody can follow a diet. But that diet doesn't help me when I'm exhausted and I'm overwhelmed and I'm stressed and I'm disappointed at where my life has, you know, led me. Um, so for, for example, you know, one of the thoughts in my mind at that time was like, I have a master's degree in this. I can't, this is the career I've chosen and I've invested in. So now I'm dissatisfied, but I can't look at that. I don't want to deal with that. What does that mean that I'm dissatisfied? I spent $60,000 a year at Stanford. I can't possibly not do this career, right? And so instead of really addressing my stress and my overwhelm and my disappointment in where I'd kind of ended up, instead, I would just eat to feel better. And that is the neurological aspect of we are humans, you know, talking about the motivation as human beings, we are hardwired. Every single one of us, there is no exception here. We are all hardwired to be motivated by three things and three things only. The first is pleasure. So we are motivated to seek pleasure. And this is why Sherry, for example, this is why food tastes good is because if food didn't taste good, humans wouldn't eat it and we would all die. And then the human race would be gone. Right. So mother nature very wisely 
designed food to taste good, especially sweet foods. This is also why women's breast milk is sweet. It's to keep the baby drinking it, right? So we are hardwired to seek pleasure. We are also hardwired, this is the second thing that we're hardwired, motivated by, is to avoid pain. Mm -hmm. Again, this is a survival mechanism. Mother nature very wisely designed us so that we didn't stick our hand in the fire, right? When we were living in caves or, you know what I mean? We don't like jump into the water if we don't know how to swim. We are hardwired to avoid discomfort. And then the third thing that we are hardwired to be motivated by is we want to do both of those things, get some pleasure, avoid some pain and do it with the least amount of effort possible. And that again, survival mechanism. It's so that we can conserve our energy so that, you know, back when we we're living in caves, if a tiger jumps out in our path, we have the energy to fight the tiger or run from the tiger or do whatever we're going to do. So these three things, seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, and doing both of those things with the least amount of effort possible is how we are hardwired to motivate to do anything. Mm. And so when you think about, you know, when you are like me and you are dissatisfied in your career or you are exhausted or you, whatever it is, frustrated, that is discomfort. And you're hardwired to move away from that feeling. I'm not hired to just sit in that feeling and feel it. I'm hardwired to move away from it and to move toward something that feels better. So for me, that was food and wine. For other people, that might be shopping online. That might be numbing out on Facebook or Netflix. That might be gambling or sex or whatever it is, right? This is where our addictions come in. And this is the neurology, the neuroscience behind what's happening in our brains that makes it so that I feel like I can't go home and not have the wine and the cheese and like I and it's because our brains have now associated those two things of when I feel stressed my brain automatically thinks I need a glass of wine and so that's where that's where diets fail us because the diets are like yeah yeah just eat this way and you'll lose the weight and it's like I am eating this way but what do I do with this other aspect of my 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 actual chemistry like how I was designed as a human so my work now very much focuses on both of those aspects. It's the emotional aspect that needs to be addressed and it's the actual what you're eating needs to be addressed. Right, right. Oh man, that was so well put. And I I couldn't agree more. It's not a alcohol problem, right? It's not a wine problem that I have. It's not a dessert problem. It's not a gambling problem or shopping problem. It's a person problem. It's my emotions, right? And and to your point, because I'm trying to avoid pain and I'm seeking pleasure in the most efficient way when I'm in that low vibrational state, so I call this, you know, the line. And then whenever we have these emotions that are below the line, which is survival emotions, like why me? Why does this always happen to me? My life sucks. And, and this person's problem and this person's fault. And we're complaining, we're blaming, we're criticizing when we're in that low vibrational state. And now couple that with an environment that makes me fearful and certain, unstable, like the last couple of years of our lives, for example, I am now looking for a fake source of energy. And that fake source of energy is going to give me that temporary pleasure, right? So that is the chocolate or that is the gambling or that is the porn addiction or whatever it is, right? And so learning to manage our energy levels and learning that overeating or our addiction to these certain things, I believe are a biopsychosocial impact. And we can get into that a little bit later, but but I'm really curious, Leah, just, just to continue on to this conversation, what is the strategy then? Right. So we know that, okay, we're trying to avoid pain. We're seeking pleasure. What is the strategy to pattern interrupt when I am coming home? Okay. I'm on a diet. 
and I've got, or let's say, I don't even like that word diet, but I've got commitments mm. around my health and fitness and I'm trying to yep. create some positive habits and new rituals for myself. But when I'm in that point of, of weakness, for example, what are some ways that I can pattern interrupt so that I don't make those choices? Absolutely. So the number one most important thing is that you have to really ask yourself, why am I using food in this way? And, and when I say food, you can insert food, you can insert wine, you can insert whatever, you know, shopping. But like what I always tell my clients is I say, ask yourself in that moment. And sometimes it's hard to catch it in the moment. Sometimes it'll be after the fact when you're like, oh my gosh, I just ate this whole bag of chips. I didn't even think about it. Again, that's your, that, that's the neural pathway that you've just associated with this feeling attached to the chips. But I always say, just ask yourself, what am I feeling right now in this moment? Or what was the feeling that I had right before I grabbed the chips, right? So for me, I took a while for me to figure this out. Like I had to do it over and over and over and over again before I was like, I'm just tired. Mm -hmm. And I realized I hate feeling tired. I hate feeling tired. And not only do I hate feeling tired, but especially when I haven't seen my baby all day and I'm getting home from work and I really just want to see him. Like it's the whole reason I go to work every day is to provide for him and for his life. And so I was like, what is the feeling? I'm like, oh, that feeling is exhaustion. That feeling is tired. And then, and then the way that you can learn to start to short circuit this a little bit is first you have to identify the feeling and our brains think just like I said, I hate feeling tired, right? I still do. I don't like it, but, um, the feeling we think it's a problem. Like I think feeling tired is a problem because if I'm tired, then I can't enjoy my baby, right? So I'm making this association in my own brain of like being tired is a problem. And so therefore, if I think it's a problem, then I think I have to solve it. Mm. And the way that I think I can solve it is by eating some food and drinking some wine. Right. Ironically, wine actually makes us more tired, oh. not less about an hour later, right? So, but, but the point there was when I finally realized that I was trying to solve what I was identifying as an emotional problem, tired is a problem. I realized I was trying to solve it with food. It made no logical sense. Mm. The food did not give me more energy. It did not give, make me less tired. What I needed was two things. And so what, what, what happens before I tell you what I needed, what I, what I tell people to do is first identify the feeling. And then when you identify the feeling that you're having, then you'll recognize that you're trying to eat to avoid the feeling or to fix the feeling. And you'll realize that never really works unless you're actually, the feeling is actual physical hunger. Right. <laughs> it's not going to work. If it's an emotion, it's not going to work. And in fact, it's just going to exacerbate the problem. Like you were saying, um, you know, about kind of having, uh, what did you call it? Fake energy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I call it false pleasure. Right. Which I think is something similar, right. Where it's like, I think that by eating this thing, I'm going to get this pleasure that I'm seeking, that I'm looking for tonight. And really it's a false pleasure because the net impact of that decision is going to make things worse, not better. So I'm going to be more tired because I had too much wine now, and now I'm not sleeping as well. And then I don't sleep as well. And the next day I'm more tired at work. And then I come home the next night and I'm even more tired. Right. Whereas if I had skipped the wine, if I had found other ways of um, including real pleasure, real pleasure in my world means there's a net positive impact. Like I'm going to take a bath and go to bed early. I'm going to take a bath with my little toddler and go to bed early. I'm going to go to bed with my toddler, right? Like whatever it is, like those might be ways that they're not going to give me as big of a dopamine hit as that wine, because my brain has very much hard, um, kind of wired together wine and being tired. 
But over time, I will eventually be able to break that, break that patterning. Um, so what I always tell clients is really determine what is the feeling that you're trying to solve for. And then also recognize that feelings don't need to be solved for. They need to, we want to be responsive to our feelings, but they are not problems. Being tired is never a problem, right? Being tired is just a state of being. And you can shift that if you don't like that state of being, but you're not going to fix it with wine and food. So then here's what, what happens though, Sherry, is that when we realize, this is what happened to me. When I realized that wine and food were not solving my exhaustion problem, then I had two choices. I could either say, oh, well, I'm going to do it anyway, <laughs> which is what a lot of us do. Like, I'm just going to drink the wine and eat the popcorn or whatever it is. Or I can decide that I want to change the, that, that, that I want to shift my life so that I don't feel this feeling quite so often. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was very clearly then I do not want to work in administration as a, and maybe I would go back to teaching, but also I was like, I don't even think I want that. I want something different in my life. And then what we start doing is we start using our time and energy to create a different life for ourselves mm -hmm. so that I no longer come home from work. By the way, I work from home now, but I no longer come out of my office and into my kitchen and feel like, oh my gosh, I just need a glass of wine and cheese and bread. That doesn't happen in my life anymore because I changed my life so that I, that, that the state of being that I was constantly feeling um, became much more infrequent. Mm. Wow, Leah, I, I love that. And, and you know, I love that you also, something you said earlier, you said something about repetition, right? About how yeah. you have to continue to repeat this. And although that, you know, you acknowledge that there's this sort of um, connection with being tired and going for the wine, it's not using willpower and sheer willpower to pattern interrupt. And that's where we are getting it wrong, I believe, right? 100%. We're relying on willpower to stick to this diet. We're relying on willpower to not eat certain foods or we're constantly relying on willpower. And the thing is that only lasts so long, right? Because gravity is fierce and our environment is way stronger, right? But instead we have to understand, yes. okay, this substance that I'm having, whether that is the chocolate, whether that's the wine, whether whatever it is, it actually is doing something for me. And that, I think that was your point was that there, there's a particular feeling that I'm trying to get out of having that wine at the end of the day yes. or having that, you know, that popcorn, as you mentioned. So what is that feeling? What is it that I'm chasing? What, what am I trying to, to, to accomplish by having these things? And then thinking about how having those things doesn't actually accomplish that. It actually gives me the exact opposite. And if anything, yes. it puts me on this loop. Now I'm more tired and I want that thing more. And now I'm more tired and I want it even more and so on and so forth. But I believe that that's, that's the reason why we start overeating, right? It's just constantly bypassing that, that desire of, of wanting to actually solve the problem and, and instead just giving in to, to that situation at the moment. And as mentioned, there's a lot of aspects, I believe a lot of components. There's, there's of course a psychological one that we're talking about, but when we prolongate this process, when we're constantly doing it over and over again, we start to then interrupt our hormone levels, right? We start yes. to, it starts to impact our, our gut health. And then of course the influence of, of whoever we're spending time with, the influence of our, of our environment, if it's available to us at all times. And of course it's something that we reach for. So, so again, coming back to, to something that you were saying a little bit earlier about sort of shifting that um, almost, I, I, I feel like you sounded like it, you were shifting your identity, right? Yes, you're, you're changing the aspects in your, in your life. You're changing uh, the job that doesn't serve you. Maybe you're changing your social circle that makes you feel small. Maybe you're, you know, you're trying to find things that create more joy in you. But I believe ultimately you're changing who you are. 
right? And changing that, that relationship with, with food in a way where it's not, I'm not allowed to have the wine. It's now, I don't want to have the wine. I choose not to have the wine because I much prefer to wake up energized. I much prefer yes. time with, with my family and to, to be able to be available in the present moment instead of giving into that particular substance. Yes. Uh, 1000%. I talk so much with my client. I actually, um, I have a program called committed and it's a, it's a year long commitment with clients, but it is for that exact reason. And that you can go through my 12 week program. I have a 12 week program called 90 days to food freedom. You can go through that's, and that is the, the program that's available to anyone who is female identified and, and is a good fit, but you can go through those 90 days. And I have a lot of people who do, they go through those 90 days and then they leave those 90 days and they're good to go. They're like, I figured this out. I figured out what's happening when I'm eating these certain foods and how it impacts me. And I figured out what's going on in my brain and how I'm feeling when I'm overeating. Okay, I got this, I can go with it. But then people who decide to stay on for that year, it's because they, they recognize that they still have the identity. They still have a diet mentality. They still have the identity of being someone who struggles with food and weight. I actually believe that this is why I think it's like the statistic is like 95% of people who lose weight, gain it back. And then some it's because even when you get down to your goal weight, you still have the mentality of, I am someone who struggles with food. Yeah. Food has power over me. Right. And so I am powerless. I can't be trusted. Oh my gosh. Trust is such a huge component of my program because I actually have a client. I love this woman to death. She has a food safe in her house that she literally locks up her husband's food in there so that she won't eat it. This messaging, or she, I should say she used to, but this messaging that we send to ourselves is that I cannot be trusted. I am out of control. I struggle with weight. I will always have a problem with food. I will always have a problem with weight. So even if I get to my goal weight, I don't know how to be someone who doesn't struggle. And this is what I love about your work is so much of it. I feel like you you get to so much of the root of like, how do we actually make this something so that it becomes a part of who you are? Because when it's a part of who you are, it becomes what I call, I say, we use minimal effort, right? So I truly, truly, so I'm Italian American. Mm -hmm. I was raised on pasta. We would have had pasta seven nights a week if my mom would have tolerated it because that's what my dad prefers. But like she had to like switch it up every once in a while. We have pasta all the time, all day, every day. Pasta with bread, right? Um, And so this, um, you know, way of eating, I actually, I still eat pasta. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I I would be disowned if I didn't. Um, And I still love pasta, but I actually prefer, like when my husband and I go to an Italian restaurant, I prefer chicken piccata and a big, huge side of veggies. Why? Because first of all, I think it's delicious. But second of all, I like how I feel. One of the things that I teach my clients is you have to truly, truly love what you're eating or else it is not sustainable. So you have to love thinking about eating it. You have to love eating it while you're eating it. And then you have to love how you feel after you've eaten it. Mm. And so for, and I mean both physically and psychologically, but what I mean by that is if I go, if I go home to my parents' house, which I do, um, and we eat a lot of pasta, I promise you, not only am I eventually going to be really constipated (laughs) because my body's not used to eating that way anymore, but also I don't feel good after eating. I really enjoyed it while we were eating it. I enjoyed thinking about eating pasta. But if I eat it too often or in too big of a quantity, I will literally physically not feel well. And so that's where we start to value feeling good all the time. 
And that's why I loved what you said about like, I'm going to choose to not have the wine so that I can wake up energized tomorrow because it's like bonus, right? It's like, not only do I get to have more energy tonight with my family, but I'm going to feel amazing tomorrow. And I am worthy of feeling amazing. Like I, I, I deserve to feel really good all the time. Even if it means I'm a little more high maintenance at the Italian restaurant when I'm like, Hey, instead of a side of pasta, could I get a side of veggies? You know, like no biggie. Right. And, and restaurants are really used to that now, but, but the point of that is that I actually prefer chicken piccata and vegetables now over pasta. And I promise you, if you had said to me five years ago, six years ago, Leah, do you think that would ever be possible for you? I'd be like, you're insane. I could never live my life without eating pasta at least five times a week. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's a true preference. It's an identity shift of I am now, I used to be, and I, I teach this to my clients too. I used to be someone who felt yeah. like she couldn't live without pasta. Now I am someone who actually prefers the chicken piccata. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like low fat chicken piccata here. Like <laughs> I'm talking about delicious chicken piccata, but I just mean, you know what I mean? To be, I am now someone who just doesn't prefer pasta that often. Right. Right. I love that. Right. And, and you're talking about that exactly the identity shift and this is really where it's at. So to your point, oh, five years ago, I couldn't have given up a particular food, right? Or I'm locking my food up or I'm, you know, that's, yes. again, that's using willpower. And if I have to use willpower, if I have to force myself to not have something, if I have to restrict myself, it means I identify with that identity, right? So if I'm struggling to release weight and I have to prevent myself from having certain things, I'm restricting myself from having certain things, I am identifying with a person who's struggling with weight. I'm identifying with a person who is overweight. I'm identifying with a person who is not choosing food that serve them, right? And if I identify with that person, well, I'm going to keep making those choices. And it's going to be harder for me to, to cut those things out of my life because I've told myself, I've convinced myself, I am that person who eats those things, right? But yes. instead, shifting into that place where, you know what, I, I'm actually focusing on how I feel feel about everything. When I yes. eat this, I don't feel good. I don't sleep well. I'm exactly. And, and poop, I talk about poop all the time because that is <laughs> the greatest indicator of our health, right? And if we, thousand percent. And, and really like, I, I encourage everyone, if you don't do this, like every morning, you need to look and see what you've deposited. And I hope it is every morning, right? Regularity. How, how easy was it to come out? What, how did it look like when it came out? That, that says everything about us. But if I'm focusing on how I feel after I eat certain foods, my choices are going to be a lot different. And when I help people with their weight transformation, first, I don't talk about losing weight because when you lose your keys, you want to find them, right? We're talking about releasing weight. And by releasing weight, we're releasing limiting beliefs. We're releasing old identity. We're releasing a lot of things out of our lives. And instead, really focusing on, well, I want to focus on my lifestyle habits. I want to start walking. I want to eat maybe more salads, right? More of this and then less of that. And over time, everything starts to shift and I become the person who is X number of pounds lighter, not the person who's trying to always struggle weight, not yes. the person whose main goal is to lose an X number of pounds, but instead becoming that person. And so something that you had you had said um, earlier about shifting into that place of identity where it's no longer I can't have this. It's now I don't eat that like I don't I don't eat fast food. I can say that I, I don't want to say I can't I can't eat fast food. I'm not allowed to eat fast food. That means I'm a person who eats fast food and I associate with that identity. And so there's four stages of learning. I don't know, Leah, if you're familiar with them, but the first one is unconscious incompetence. That's really living your life unconsciously. You don't even know what you don't know, right? I don't know that this, this smoothie that I bought from the grocery store that said it was full of antioxidants and superfoods is actually loaded with sugar. And I have it every single morning and I wonder why it's not doing anything for me. I don't know what I don't know, right? 
And then there's the second stage, which is conscious competence. Now I know what I don't know. Oh, whoa, I now I just discovered that that smoothie is actually loaded with sugar. All right. And now stage three, conscious competence. Now I've hired a coach. Now I'm working with someone. Now I've maybe joined a group that's going to support me. And that that part is a lot of effort. That's where I really have to put the work. That's where I really have to focus on doing the habits every single day. There's a lot of action going there. But if I continue that stage and I don't give up knowing that it's not a linear path, it's up and down and this is a journey and this is a lot of discovery and I'm going to work on being 1% better every single day and be patient and love myself through the process, I will get to that stage where now it's unconscious competence. I am now going from the doing to the being. And now I just live my life in that space where I don't even think about that glass of wine. I don't even think about that pasta that I used to give up a long time ago, right? I just now I'm I'm the person who doesn't eat that. Like there's, you can't convince me of it. I care so much more about how I sleep, how I wake up, how my energy levels feel, how light I feel when I eat certain foods, that that is absolutely non-negotiable for me. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And yes, the four stages of learning. It's so important to understand that because you're right in the, when you're first in it and you're learning, it can feel kind of hard, right? Martha Beck calls it the hero's journey, right? Where you're like, you're like, you think it's going to be all like, oh, I'm just going to join this program and it's going to work and it's going to be great. And I'm going to, and then it's like, oh, this is really hard. But eventually it does become that unconscious competence then where you're just in it. Like you're just doing it. It's just become who you are, right? I am someone who, for example, I don't eat breakfast because I am not hungry for breakfast. So one of the things that I teach my clients is if you're not hungry, don't eat, (laughs) right? There is so much, you know, and, and, and there is, because the reason why I teach that in particular is because it often erodes trust. I think I should eat because somebody said I should eat at 8 Mm AM. Somebody said breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Somebody said, it's time to eat. So I'm just going to eat without really checking in with my own hunger. Now I say that, but also I just want to honor that a lot of women, when they come to me and this was me, they actually don't feel hunger because they are constantly eating. We live in a culture where we're constantly snacking and eating. And we also live in a culture where food is available everywhere. You can order it to your door. You can get it at the gas station. And this is different than in a lot of other places in the world where there are specific times and your body is kind of trained to eat at certain times. But what I teach clients is, and it's actually just the first phase of of the work we do together, but it's really learning to trust your own body's hunger and satiety levels. But, and I think that this is uh, very much aligned, Sherry, with, with a lot of what you teach is that it we can trust our own hunger, but we also have to re. If you have done a lot of dieting in your life, you have to recalibrate your hunger and satiety levels. You have, because those hormones called leptin and ghrelin, those are the ones that let you know if you're hungry and when you're not, those hormones are often highly dysregulated. If you are somebody who's been dieting, who has what we call metabolic dysfunction, meaning your metabolism is all kind of whacked out because You've done, like me, decades of dieting. So I don't know when I'm hungry. For me, there was just two modes. I was either starving to the point where I was ready to murder somebody, or I was stuffed to the point where I like felt like I had to lay down on the living room floor and unbutton my pants. I was so uncomfortable, right? There was like often not the nuanced in between. And so part of that is really learning when am I hungry and when am I not? And I, have, I actually have a, a free tool that teaches women how to do this, really recalibrating those hunger signals so that you can start to listen to them and pay attention to them and trust them. And so to your point, in the beginning with those four stages of learning, 
it might feel like a lot of work to have to pay that much attention to, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? What's happening in my body? But then after a while, you just become someone who, like me, I don't eat if I'm not hungry. Right. And so my family, you know, I, I spent, and they're like, what do you mean you're not going to eat breakfast? What do you mean you're not hungry yet? I'm like, I'm just not hungry yet, guys. And I don't eat if I'm not hungry. And that has served me really well because looping back to what we were talking about earlier, I feel better if I wait to eat until I'm hungry. If I'm eating and I'm not hungry, it doesn't actually feel good. And not only that, but my food, like, like spoiler alert. My food tastes better, better if you're actually hungry when you eat it. You appreciate it. You're like, oh, I'm so grateful I get to eat this. Oh, so lucky. Yes, I have all these totally. Colors. Yeah. Yes, totally, totally. Yeah, I love everything you said, and, and it's amazing because we speak the same language, and, and this is sort of what I was referring to earlier, right? The biopsychosocial model that I that I speak about of appetite impairment, right, or or overeating. And there's the biological aspect that you spoke about, right? Those are the hormones, those are the ghrelin, the leptin, that is the stretch receptors in the stomach that we've now have to reset, right? That, and then that's of course the gut microbiome because now I've got certain bacteria that I have cravings for sugar and some of the foods yes. that don't serve me. And now I've my estrogen balance is, is whack, right? And so all of these, just understanding all this and just hormones and how sleep impacts it and stress and all of that, that's the biological aspect of it. And of course, we're talking about insulin resistance and then constantly stimulating insulin in the body. And then there's the psychological yes. part. There, there's a diet mindset, as you mentioned, building that reward system in the brain. I'm not allowed to have this, creating a restriction. And then once you have that, the reward, now there's a massive dopamine release. And that's what we're constantly going for. That's what we become addicted to. There's the diet yes. mindset, of course. There's, there's our relationship with food and there's that seeking of fake energy right and of course there's this self-image there's there's experiences yes. that we had in the past especially if we've been dieting for so many years and then the social aspect of it you know hearing that certain things are are good for us and especially if it's marketed as that we're at the grocery store and it says this is good for us so then we buy it there's the cultural aspect of it that we spoke about earlier and you know i i also married an italian boy and when i started going to his house i had never eaten this way before i, I my background's egyptian and generally every meal is like a buffet there's a bunch of different things on the table you serve yourself so i i had no idea first of all what i was coming to the first time i went to his his house his parents house i didn't know what the order of the food is so I wasn't that hungry and the first meal that came out was this massive bowl of pasta and I'm, I've never really had a plate of pasta loaded in this way and so I'm like okay and you know I started eating it and then halfway through I'm like oh I'm really full and he's like you have to eat it it's so rude if you don't finish your plate it means you don't like it so Leah I finished my plate and I'm like Oof, I can hardly <laughs> breathe now and then all of a sudden the meat came out and then the potatoes yeah. and then the salad yeah. came out and then it like yeah. it was nonstop and then the fruit came out and then after the fruit there was dessert and yeah. I I ate until I like I had cramps in my stomach and you know the worst part about an hour later I was sitting on the couch and then I was starving again. I was like, I was starting to get the shakes. And now this was, so this went on for about a year or so because every Sunday it was Sunday lunch. And yeah. at one point I was like, I, I can't participate because I don't feel well when I eat that. Yes. I'm used to that. My body doesn't like that. I get these massive shakes. And so it took some time and, and really a lot of resistance just to share that with, with the family. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be eating the pasta anymore. That was huge. But that's the yeah. environment that we have to overcome. And I have to choose, is it going to be me pleasing everyone in the room or me pleasing myself? And it's it's not being rude about it. I was never rude about it. I just, I had to present it in a way where 
I, I'm going to bring food too. I'm going to also participate in the lunch and no need to go out of your way to, to make me anything special. I'll just have some salad and I'll have some of the other stuff that's on the, on the table. But I, I really, I just cannot continue to, to engage in this, in this type of eating because it, I don't feel good the rest of the day. And I think a lot of us have a hard time doing that. Just really learning to honor our bodies and then feeling bad about having to, you know, hurt anybody's feelings around us. But at the end of the day, I think we also set that that precedent for the rest of us to then act act on it in the same way. If we're if we're focusing on our health, then people around us will start to focus on their health too. Yeah. Are you still there, Leah? Yeah. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. I froze for a minute. But yes, absolutely. You know, the the I I think especially too, if you've been socialized as female in this world we are very much socialized to put everyone else first. And so one of the biggest hurdles that I had to overcome when I really started paying attention to and prioritizing feeling good was being willing to disappoint other people. Right. And I actually, one of my, my like most opened emails that I ever sent to my email list was the one that said, I'm okay with you being disappointed in me. That was the subject line. And people were like, what? Opening it, you know? But it's true because I think it's so kind of counterculture as, especially as a woman to be like, actually, I'm okay with you being disappointed in me. I'm going to do my own thing. And, and again, not being rude about it. Right. But like, but really saying like, because here's the thing is like eating my mom's pasta. Yeah. It might make her feel good in the moment, but she's still going to be disappointed about something else I'm doing. So like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I might as well. Um, there was a, I can't remember the author of this book, but she wrote a book called quit like a woman. Um, and I wish I could remember her name now, but I can't, but uh, it's a great book, but it's about, um, uh, quitting drinking. And she, uh, she says in the book, she says, always choose guilt over resentment. Mm. And I know some people might not agree with that, but the reason I love that is because really what she's saying, if you think about guilt and resentment, both of them feel pretty crappy, right? right? Like I don't really want to feel guilty and I don't really want to feel resentful. But the truth is, is as women, we tend to choose resentment over guilt all the time. I would rather stuff myself with the pasta thinking that I'm making my mother happy then she feel guilty for disappointing my mom, but also then I would get to feel good. And I loved that kind of radical notion of choosing guilt over resentment, because honestly, at least if I feel, they both feel crappy. So if I have to pick one, at least I'm going to pick the one where I get to feel good on the other end of it. I don't want to feel resentment and bloated. Like <laughs> that's a lose-lose, right? At least with the guilt, it's like a lose-win. You know what I mean? Right, right. So yeah, but I do think it's really about getting comfortable with disappointing other people. Right, right, and and you know, I, 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 this, this I find is is something that constantly comes up when I when I coach my athletes is, you know, they're they're on a roll, and then all of a sudden they go to a barbecue, and you know, then I just ate whatever was there, right, and and that's the thing is preparation first, right, is is just maybe letting the person know, hey, I'm I'm no longer eating these things, and don't worry, you don't need to go out of your way. I'll bring something with me, and you know. And I, I've always done that whenever I go to a barbecue and people now know they've known me long enough that they know if they're going to invite yeah. Sherry to a barbecue, like they're going to call me and be like, okay, what do you eat? You know? And I just answer like, I, I eat real food. I won't eat a hot dog. That's not real food. Like I won't eat, I'll never eat stuff like this because it does not serve me. And I don't like how I feel afterwards, yeah. but I'll always bring something Leah that's enough to share with everyone. I'll, I'll either yes. make my own dessert, like you saw on my website, something along the yeah. way. Um, I'll bring in uh, another, you know, main dish, but I'll bring enough to share with everyone. And my goal 
is not to just then sit in that space where, no, I'm not eating that. I'm only bringing food for myself. No, I actually want to inspire others. Like I want to show you how delicious this dessert can be. And by the way, it was only four ingredients and no sugar added. Right. And I, and you don't oftentimes know that. So shifting that guilt from feeling guilty, which I believe, I believe guilt is just a a self-made prison. It doesn't serve that. That is the most useful, useless emotions. It doesn't serve us in Mm. any way except to make us feel bad in our state. And only we get to decide that we want to imprison ourselves in this emotion. But instead, we shift that to inspiration. I'm going to use this now to inspire others. I'm going to bring something and show people that, first of all, I'm going to commit to my rituals. These are non-negotiable to me. And on top of that, I'm going to inspire others to give this a try because maybe they're struggling. And I don't know many people. I don't know many people who would decline health right? or decline, decline that desire to become more healthy. I believe we all want that. Sometimes we give up because we don't know how to do it or because to your point, there's all of these years of dieting and, and just connecting to an old pattern or, or old identity that keeps us trapped where, where they are. And that's why I love the, the work you do, Leah, really talking about the psychology of overeating and really letting people understand that there is nothing wrong with them. Like if anyone's listening, there is nothing wrong with you. You're not a failure. It's not that you don't know how to stick to a diet or be self-disciplined. It's not about that. It's actually the diet culture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. experiences that have brought us to this place and it's it's not a food problem it's the emotional problem that we are not dealing with that is actually that's right leading us to these choices a hundred percent i could not agree with you more yeah i love this conversation leah i can't believe our time together is up and is there anything else that you want to share that you didn't have a chance to yet oh my gosh well you know i don't there's anything that I didn't share um, already, but if I could just underscore, I think you just said it so perfectly that food really is not the problem. And that step one, if you, if you are someone who has struggled to really end self-sabotage, right. And to really be consistent, then especially with food and eating the number one question or the number one thing you need to do is diagnose the real problem because the real problem I promise you is psycho-emotional. I promise, I promise, promise, promise. That's the number one thing. And then from there, you can start to get into, I think all of the really important stuff about the biochemistry of what you're eating and you know what you were talking about earlier, Sherry, about how that smoothie loaded with sugar in the morning is just gonna spike your insulin, spike your blood sugar all day long, up and down, up and down. So there's this real biochemical reason that you are so dang hungry. And there's a real biochemical reason that you are so dang, uh, you're having so many cravings or thinking about food so often. But it's these two pieces together. It's that psycho-emotional piece combined with the biochemical piece both have to be solved for. And then once you've figured that part out, then honestly, it's, we get to remedy the problem. We get to transform whatever needs to be transformed in your life. And then you can go get what it is that you really want. And for a lot of us, that's more time freedom. It's more family time. It's a better career. It's a better partnership. You know, it's, it's so many things that it might be under there, but really it's those steps of like diagnosing the problem, then dealing with the, the food piece then let's remedy the problem and then go get what we want. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, you know, I, 
I'm so honored to connect with you today and to speak to somebody who's on the same wavelength as, as I am. And um, it's been such a pleasure, Leah. And, and you know, we have to continue this work. We have to continue to share this message and, and liberate liberate women from this diet mm -hmm. culture. I mean, it, it, it breaks my heart. Imagine the amount of years, amount of years, though. The biggest thing on your mind is your weight. The biggest thing on your mind is what you're eating. Constantly feeling guilty about yourself or what you ate and all food is bad. And if you ate it, it's bad. I mean, this is a real thing. And I think this is is where where I believe health and fitness is now um, really transforming into. And it's, it's, it's people such as yourself doing the work that you're doing um, that's going to share this message. So thank you again for your time today and for all the insight that you have shared with us. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you to learn more from you, where can they go to do that? Yeah, um, so you can go to my website, leahpinelli.com. And my first name is L-I-A. P-I-N-E-L-L-I.com. Um, and then of course I am on Instagram and I have a podcast called The Life You Crave. I love that. I love that. Well, thanks again for your time, Leah. We will be in touch and I have a feeling you're going to be back on here sometime soon. Yay. Thank you so much, Sherry. I had such a good time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a review and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode and remember, you are an inspiration.